Sometimes it's a lovely bake, but sometimes it's a bit dreadful. Welcome to the Gingham Altar. I'm Mac. And I'm Megan. Every week we tackle another episode of everyone's favorite baking competition, the Great British Bake Off. And after we've said our piece, we try to put our bakes where our mouths are and replicate some of the recipes from today's episode. This week we are looking at episode or season five, episode nine. That's right, it is patisserie week. Welcome to the quarterfinals. Patisserie. So did not know what that was until I watched Bake Off, and now I'm scared of it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it was a very scary week. Like, if you weren't impressed by the bakers already, this week is the one that made you impressed. And also really glad that you weren't them. And as I was looking for something to make on my own, I was like, I would never make any of this in my home. I would never make any of this for another person. I I thought, ooh, baklava. I like baklava. And I looked at a couple of recipes, but as they discuss in the show, and we'll get to that, baklava, the expectation in most recipes is that you'll buy your dough, not make it. And so that was the only one that seemed not crazy, and they made it crazy. So, yeah, this whole week is one that would have just made my hair fall out if I had been a contestant. I'm so impressed by them because they did amazing things, as always. And I did okay with my project, but I didn't, I mean, I I didn't do all that they did. So, holy smokes, what a weekend. Right. And I, and I think that that's, you know, a credit to the fact that they've made it this far and that they want to keep making, you know, upping the challenge level and upping what they can be involved with. So I think that's really a... I don't know, kind of a credit to the bakers, I guess. The first time I watched this, I was just wowed by how far people had gotten with something without any kind of formal education. And because, I don't know, I I feel like I in the world we live in, it seems like you can't get very far without a degree in a lot of things. Mm -hmm. Like, I've applied for a lot of jobs in my time. And everybody wants you to have a very specific degree to be sure that you were trained for this specific job and to see people who all through their own experimentation have come so far and know so much is really inspiring. Well, I think that, you know, now that they have been experimenting for nine episodes on top of all of their history in the kitchen, I think that it, you know, really goes to the fact of if you just get started with something, you probably can figure it out. Right. You know, there are a lot more resources you've got at your disposal now. And so, I mean, so many of the bakers this week, especially in the first one, were like, I have never made phyllo dough. Would never make phyllo dough. (laughs) We'll never make phyllo dough again. Right. But they're (laughs) like, you know, but I'm here. I got to do it. And so I'm going to figure it out and it's going to be pretty good. Yeah. And it was. Yeah. So it was. So the first challenge this week we've talked about is that they needed to make 24 baklava. They needed to be two different types, and they had three and a half hours to complete this challenge. So first off, do you like baklava? I love baklava. That is up my street. I don't know that I've ever had a good one. Really? You know, the ones that I have tend to be a little bit more prepackaged. Yeah. And so I think I need to try one that's actually from a a patisserie. Mine was all purchased, but I know one at least, uh, there is a Jewish food festival in town that the temple in Montgomery puts on and I had baklava there that I'm pretty sure was made by the ladies of the temple and it was phenomenal Um, and that's just what I've had most recently but yeah I could eat quite a bit of that I could eat an unwise amount of it when it's 
when it's good, it's good. And it's possible that when it's bad, it's horrid. When Dale goes to Torah study, apparently there's a woman who brings challah every week. What? And he's like, the challah is always delicious. Does he bring it back? <laughs> No, no, no. It's just for the people that are there. But I was that's like, how they lure, that's how they get you. <laughs> like, you know, like, come for the bread, stay for the goods. temples. <laughs> they really do. It's it's good shit. That and um I'm gonna say this wrong, Rugalock. That's my fave. Oh, Rugalock. I actually we've been talking about Purim for quite a little bit, which just happened, I think, about a week ago, and I was going to make some hamantaschen for it. Ooh. And then it was just the absolute worst day at work. <laughs> it's like, like I'm so no. sorry. We were supposed to get drunk and make hamantaschen, which is kind of what you do for Purim. And... <laughs> That's a great plan. I love this plan. <laughs> I know but... it's it's a bit more of a a, a baker's holiday than you first think. There are a lot of those. I'm realizing, like, you know, when you get into a new hobby and realize that they have their own special days, like um, it's Thanksgiving for cooks. It's definitely like Christmas for bakers. And apparently Purim as well is a big baking holiday. Are you going to do anything bakey for Easter? That's coming up next. Uh, I don't know. So we are... I haven't really planned anything yet, but I do want to to try, you know, some more stuff out. Uh, I've actually got the week off, so I think I'm going to spend some of that time not just baking for the show, but you know, baking other things that I've I've kind of had my eye on for a little bit. So I want to I want to make some breads, and I want to to get in and, and try some different things. Uh, do you have anything special on deck for you? Not really. I mean, um, we're not the faithful. <laughs> we we won't be doing anything specifically for that, but I, I do often like to make a ham, old time sake, that kind of thing. And my mom makes this pineapple casserole. Are you familiar with the southern pineapple casserole? You got pineapple and cheddar. Oh, I think yeah, sometimes I know exactly Ritz crackers. What we're talking about. Yes, oh, yeah. yes, yes, yes. Yep, yep, yep. That, that's, that's some good shit. It's weird. And anybody who's listening who isn't Southern might be like, what what the actual hell are you talking about? But it's a pineapple casserole. Look it up. Southern pineapple cheddar. And it's really good. Oh, and see, and that reminds me of the, the what is it, the half pears with the cheddar cheese and the cheddar cheese and the cherry. And is it mayonnaise yep. on there? Yeah, there, there's Ugh. mayonnaise in that jam. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. And there's also something involving green jello and chopped pecans uh i want to say it's been called waldorf salad but that's not what a waldorf salad is so no is it congealed salad that you're that's thinking it of? that's yeah. it yeah my mom is a major fan that was never my thing but uh that's always on the table and uh that that's like a 1960s thing probably like during oh, yeah. the era of like jello everything very much so however i mean i have certainly have more than my fair share of congealed salad i'm pretty sure that was at one point considered the fruit or vegetable option in a school lunch that i had that's amazing (laughs) that is really amazing yeah only in the southland that is that is our promised land holy moly but it's funny i got really interested in southern food while i was living in alaska probably um and my mother didn't cook what I think of as Southern food of of any kind. She was more like Better Homes and Gardens, like quick and wholesome mom meals of the 90s, that sort of stuff. I feel like there are two kinds of Southern food. There's pre-sort of mid-century where there's a lot of like corn and corn products and dried beans and flavoring things with pork 
and then and there's a lot of fresh stuff there too fresh tomatoes peaches etc and then there's like the mid-century southern cooking which is very popular and that involves a lot of jello a lot of salads with mayonnaise fried chicken i think of or, or like fried everything really is more like the post 1950 southern cooking you know the kind that's going to give you a heart attack yeah well and it, you know and it's interesting that even though we think that food kind of exists in this kind of monoculture and it grows from its own history it really doesn't so if you're going to talk about gelatin and all of that i mean that's a very french style of cooking Isn't that you know that that's perhaps the hardest part of you know the the joy of uh, you know julia child's uh, the joy of cooking or, or mastering the art of french cooking that uh you know is is kind of a gross section to get through is all the congealed meats and all the gelatin that gets used are you thinking of julie and julia right now well i'm just thinking of thumbing through this because i i actually a few years ago was going to do something kind of similar just you know in my personal life to kind of learn how to cook better where i i picked a cookbook and i was like i'm gonna cook my entire way through this Ooh. And the the cookbook I was talking about that I was trying to cook my way through was um, Marcella Hazan's The Classic Italian Cookbook that came oh. out in the 60s. And it's great. It, it, you know, and it has actually taught me quite a bit about cooking. But there's like a whole section here about using sweet meats. And it's like, you know, stewed calf brains. Oh, God. I was like, I don't even know where I would source such an ingredient. Never mind cook it and serve it. You know, it's... Something out of this cookbook is the only thing is one of the only things that Dale has spit out of his mouth that I've ever cooked for him, which was a a, a liver dish. Nope. <laughs> you know, stuffed squid braised in white wine. I know of one project where people did that that was very successful early in the days of blogging when you know it was still pretty uh, sensational to have a food blog. First came the blog, and then the book, and then the film. Julie and Julia. And the idea was that she cooked her way through all of Mastering the Art of French Cooking. And I read it, and I think I saw the movie also, um, mm -hmm. but she talks about getting through the aspic chapters, or the chapter, or the section, and it's like an entire chunk of the book is meat jello. I don't know. No, no. But luckily, our bakers are making something much more delicious than meat jello. They're making yeah. baklava in all sorts of varieties. Were there any of those that, these that really kind of stood out to you? Uh, anytime. Chetna's done this a couple of times where she wants to put chocolate in a pastry. And I think, ooh, girl, you know, it just, let that one go. This is a competition. You know, you don't want to play it safe, but you also don't want to be dangerous. Like, that was rough. And Luis did, Louis, excuse me, did Rose, also a dangerous choice. He mentioned that he was using barberry, and I have never tasted a barberry. And no. that reminded me that Is it kind I, of like the Coke company, Burberry? <laughs> delicious. <laughs> I was like, Burberry is my signature scent. Tasteful. Ooh, what, which one? <laughs> Burberry Brit. Nice. <laughs> but, you know, and Chetna wasn't the only one to use chocolate. Uh, Nancy had chocolate in her coffee ones as well. And and actually, Richard had rose as well in his rose and pistachio baklava. So, you know, for as much as they kind of, like, pushed their own limits, they were actually kind of within the same realm of each other. They were having a lot of the same sort of thoughts. Makes sense. Nancy used muesli, which was interesting. Are you a fan of muesli? I don't know what that is. It sounds like mucinex. It, <laughs> it is not. It's very different. But it's also good for you. And muesli is sort of, sort of like proto- overnight oats okay and so it's an oatmeal mixture usually with nuts and some dried fruit so it really does work with baklava it would have a lot of texture but they play up the the danger of using muesli in her baklava if i were to eat any i think i would probably eat louis with carrot because then i could tell myself it was healthy i heard two verbs i really liked 
in this section of the episode. I really love concertina as a verb. That's not something Americans (laughs) say, but I really like it. And it means squished up like an accordion, I think. Mm -hmm. And then I also like blitz as a verb instead of blend because or, or chop. But, you know, to blitz would mean like to use like a little chopper and chop things up. I like that, too. And the last thing I noticed is that Richard refers to all of his friends thinking he's mad for making phyllo, which immediately made me think, like, who are Richard's friends? Like, that they're all like, you're insane! Like, Right. Are <laughs> these all the rest of the builders at the site? Is this his yes! dad and his uncles and brothers being like, oh my gosh, I cannot possibly believe you would ever do such a thing. I know. It's like, who? who is he? I'm sure he has... I imagine Richard is having two very separate spheres in his life. There's like... Because he seems very comfortable with his masculinity, so he'd have like baking buddies and then like his work buddies. But, I mean, maybe maybe the twain meet. Maybe there is a large building baking population in his area. Maybe, but I think like all of us, you know, I mean, you have people in your life who are interested in different things and they don't always come together around the same stuff. That's accurate. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> your separate spheres. I do get the feeling that he feeds his coworkers a lot of stuff. Oh, yeah. I mean, you like we've said numerous times, you have to have somewhere for this stuff to go live or, you know, all of us would be the size of a house. When with the recipe I made this week, some just went straight in the trash. There were too many. Like I, it ended up making 48. Like it made mm. twice as many as the recipe said it would. And so some went straight in the garbage and some went to a friend who lives in my neighborhood. Like, please take these. Like... <laughs> Mine also went in the trash, but not because there was too... Well, because there was too much of it, but it was too, not... Any was too much. <laughs> that is awesome. I mean, I thought that the baklavas, you know, went great. I thought that they were... I thought, for the most part, they all looked really pretty as far as baklava goes, because usually they're just... When you see them, they're just a dough triangle. Yes. And so I thought that, you know, Richard trying to try stuff out with the flowers, chetnas, even though they didn't like them as much... I thought they all looked really delicious. They did. You know, and, and it seemed like for the most part, it was just the the problem with the the layering that kind of got her in trouble. Yeah, she she struggled from the get-go this week. And not not that she even did badly. It's just so competitive at this stage and everyone's so good that right. you don't even feel like it's embarrassing to get struck out at this stage in the game. And they all sort of comment on that, that it's like they're feeling this mixture of it would be okay if I went home at this point, but I don't want to go home. Yeah, And I mean, I feel like that's a really positive way to feel, to be like, I've done myself proud, but I'd love to keep going. So then we move on to the technical challenge, which is one of Paul's recipes, and it is the German Schicktorte. Mm, fun to spell. Yes, and not not a Schicktorte. A schicktorte. Although that joke is made, of course. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's just sitting right there. I feel like that's half the reason why they chose for them to make this. That seems fair. And they've got two hours to make it. And basically what a schicktorte is, is it is a grilled layer cake. Schicktorte literally translates as layer cake. And by grilled, we do not mean American grilled. No, we mean grilled under the broiler. Right, yeah. Which was confusing to me the first time I watched this episode. But yeah, so very high heat from above. And they mentioned that it's a pretty simple batter. So that's yes. not what makes it complex or difficult. It's more that there are 20 layers in this right. cake. This is what I made for this week. So we don't have to like really get into the recipe now because I'll do it in a little bit. Yes. But let me just say, this is the sort of cake that drives you to the bottle. Tedium. Was it the tedium? <sighs> No, it was the absolute insanity 
Oh, um, oh. <laughs> my goodness. I, I, you know, I was thinking back, I was, I was talking to somebody about like all the baking we've done on this show. And I was like, you know, and then there was the time that Bess stole some of my eclair shells that I was trying to make for this show I was making. Oh, oh one of my employees is getting married and we were talking about like wedding stuff and I made all the food for my wedding. And so I was like, you know, I was telling the story about when Bess ate all the tart shells the day of our wedding. But then I was like, and then she ate eclair shells. And then I was like, and then in another episode, my oven exploded. Yeah. <laughs> You've had a go of it. You it have been, too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you, you more so than me. Like, I feel like yours are more, um, well, for me, it's more just like, and then I ruined the thing. But <laughs> for you, it's like literal explosion. Have you had a chance to see the latest like charity episode they had with the celebrities? No. What it was is uh, James Acaster was on the, uh, was on this, you know, kind of great celebrity bake off for the stand up to cancer thing. And he's a stand up comedian and television host from the UK for one of the challenges when he's presenting, I think it's for the signature. He's presenting his thing to the judges and he goes, I started baking. I had a breakdown. Bon appetit. I've been there. I've really been there. I know exactly what he means. I need to ask no questions about that. Right. (laughs) And I was like, well, you're kind of acting like Nancy, just with more self-defeat already in. So um, just just being real about what went down there. Like, right. Yes. And that's kind of how I feel like the Chic Torta went, because none of them really knew what they were making. It's not anything that they really made before. And, you know, because the batter's pretty simple and you can kind of look at it, you can kind of tell that it's going to have not the most complex of flavors. I will say that it did remind me a good bit of a common cake that you see a lot in the South, which is the, it's named after the number of layers it has, like a 20 layer cake or a seven layer cake, or I don't know if those are usually done. I know that some of them can be done in a cast iron pan, but the idea of having many, many very thin layers and it being impressive Right, but those are usually iced. Yes. And between so- the layers. See, my, my grandma Helen used to make a, a chocolate, or I mean, she still does sometimes, I guess, but she makes this chocolate layer cake that'll have 12, 15 layers in it, and I love that cake. I, I thought that the chic torta was um, a bit of an odd duck, mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. you know, for the most part, they, they tend to get it something out there on the table for them to take a look at and so and louise comes in first uh and, and poor chetna just not having not living her best life this week Mm-mm. comes in last i know it's for the show but it's a little shady for them to like sit there and like count all the layers it's yeah. <laughs> like do we have 20 on the nose i will say though that at this stage it's probably what is determining who gets fourth and who gets third Right. And so, like, in a way, maybe that would make it a little bit easier if they had been, well, they, I feel like it was pretty obvious that Chetna was coming in last, but, like, it makes it, like, if it comes down to splitting hairs, whoever had the more layers wins. (laughs) Like, she had 17, she had 16. You know, so, I mean, I think that they all did good. I will say, you know, I don't know that many of them are going to be making more chic tortas. It's, I think uh, Richard says that that's a hell no. Yeah, they were quite open in feeling that some of this was a bit ridiculous. Right. And so speaking of ridiculous, the showstopper challenge. And that's what I did this week. I did a cheaty ver I did half of it. Okay. Well, so what they wanted was they wanted 24 entremets. Is that how you pronounce that? Entremets? Entremet. Entremet. And they needed to be two different varieties. And they had five hours to complete that in. 
And so entremets are little French patisserie sorts of things. And they are traditionally, they're, they're small and they're supposed to be served in between courses. I feel like they're show-offy. Like that's yes, really the very point. much so. It's a show-offy cake. So, I mean, it has a lot of history behind it. I mean, it goes back to medieval times, but it really is a chance for you to show off your 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 subtlety and and how what a a good hand you have for for cooking and dessert. It's a very creative challenge because and I learned this myself because I went online trying to find a recipe because I knew I needed to be walked through it. I did not want to come up with my own elaborate plan for making this mini layered cake because the point is to get a combination of textures and a combination of flavors that all work in harmony and I wanted more guidance but when I <laughs> googled entremet recipe all I didn't get anything from my usual sources there was no Cooks Illustrated Dory Greenspan didn't have anything Julia Child didn't have entremet it was all bloggers I'd never heard of and it wasn't that many bloggers either so it's professional enough that there aren't a lot of sources for the home baker if the home baker wants a recipe to make these and I'm 100% sure that all the contestants drew up plans and figure out how they were going to make this and pulled recipes from different sources to figure out what they were going to do so that's really impressive as well. I mean, the showstoppers are always visually stunning, but this one, this was a presentation where it was just absolutely gorgeous. You know, I mean, this is a lot of the stuff that ends up in, you know, the, the promos for the show and things mm-hmm. like that, where it's, the you know, it, and this is, this is supposed to be the kind of stuff you see in the window and you're like, I have to put that in my face hole. I need to go in there. Like it, it's meant to be what draws you in visually doing something that's visual visually appealing is its own talent on this show i feel like the visual gets i don't want to say downplayed it's it's flavor first which is one of my favorite things about the show in some challenges it's flavor first sure it has to taste good but in this one it also needed to be beautiful some did better than others the the you know the one that kind of immediately springs to my mind is is i mean of course louise's just look fantastic they always do that pistachio one that has the <sighs> layers of green and the red jelly that is perfectly set on top and it's pipe, the piping of the filling was yeah and, and the piped filling it is perfection you know it would hurt my feelings if i made that and somebody ate it in front of me same yeah how dare you i worked so hard it hurt when they ate it it really did <laughs> and i wrote down the green one is amazing and it yeah it's just gorgeous and i don't think he used unnatural dye no that was that was pistachio so once again you'd never be able to try it but i could look at it i I don't want to try it i just want to look at it richard also had one didn't stand out as much in my mind but the one with the polka dots yeah the yeah the wrap around so sweet yes and we know that wrapping cake is no joke no and lots of people try it with that uh, acetate but that seems it seems like it either goes perfectly or is complete horseshit. Yes. And it, his and to do it on so many little tiny ones is, is really quite confident. And it's all about the layers, too. And they all had, all four of them had really impressive layers, except in one of her entremets, Chetna just missed the mark. And she had, I think, three different layers in a row that were all kind of the same color. And I feel like that might have been the kiss of death for her. She and Nancy were, I think, 
pretty close to neck and neck. And then it really came down to their entremet. And I think Chetna just bungled it a little too far. And you can see kind of in the judging that that she sees it and she kind of feels that she's not moving on to the next level. And, you know, and that's super sad. I mean, she's such a delightful person. And I mean, she certainly has had a career in baking beyond this and has become you know, a show favorite. Yeah, I actually... But, I, you know, I, but I thought that this was not an episode where anybody completely fell apart. No, it wasn't like somebody, you know, had to get shoved out the door because it's like, how did you make it to the top four? Oh, yeah. my gosh. They're not pros, but they're pros. Yeah, I mean, these are clearly the four people who were supposed to make it this far in the competition. Yes. And, you know, nobody wants to root for a front runner, but even though I love Richard, so, but he is Starbaker... Again. Yeah. Again. The first time I watched the season, this was when I was completely certain that Richard was going to win. Right. This is what, the fifth time? Yes. Yes. That's insane. I don't know that anybody before or since has ever been Starbaker so many times. I'm thinking mostly of the entremet, but I don't know between he and Louis if the right person won. Yeah. I I kind of, I don't really know what kind of shoved it in Richard's favor this week uh, over, the between dots. the two of them. Maybe? Maybe. I don't know. I would have given Luis. I thought that his baklava looked great. I mean, of course, we can't taste any of it, but I thought that, you know, he was, you know, trying some different stuff with the Hawa and mm-hmm. I guess from their point of view, that flower design wasn't really baklava. Right. But... And, they don't generally go for, they don't go for traditional, like right. because they want people to innovate. So it's, it seems like they try to go more with, was it successful? And rather than, is it baklava? Although they did ask that question, is it baklava? So maybe, maybe I'm just full of shit. It was good and pretty. So it wasn't like this, you know, is roughly in the category and bad. They're like, it's good. We just don't know. So, I mean, right. and maybe it's that sort of small stuff. And Starbaker doesn't matter. No. But, you know, it, it's nice for bragging rights and all. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it's what you call your family and tell them that you got. Anything else to say about this episode? I enjoyed it. It was really impressive. And I want to talk about what we made. Yeah. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we get back, we will be talking about our recreations of this week's bakes. Awesome. All right, and we're back. So now we're going to talk about our recreations of the bakes from this week's episodes. I want to hear all about your shick torta. Oh, the shick tort. Oh, the shitty tort. <laughs> okay. Failures are more fun to talk about than successes. And that's the thing. Like, I, I've had some mixed success and failures on this show so far. I don't know that I have had anything that was an abject just failure mm-hmm. and this was <laughs> until now <laughs> <laughs> yeah, until now <laughs> you know it seems like i had the golden touch but i did not on this mm. and spoiler alert i'm gonna blame the recipe oh yeah yeah so- <laughs> you know it's the right of the baker like there must have been something wrong with that <laughs> well here's the thing i think i did it right i just think it's gross on the show it sounded an awful lot like a pancake with a glaze on top it's so funny you mentioned that because that's what it tasted like. Yeah. Have you ever wanted to have a three-inch pancake that has a little bit of a charred taste to it with <laughs> chocolate and vanilla glaze on top? You know, I, 
I can't say that I have. You don't realize how chewy a pancake is until it's three inches thick. Oh, man. And even when they were making it, I was like, so the reason why you love a seven or a 12 layer cake is because it means that you're basically getting a mouthful of icing with just enough cake that it's a cake and not a bowl of icing. Right. And this doesn't have icing. It has glaze. So I I'm, I used the recipe that they used on the show. I, I pulled it off the BBC website, Paul Hollywood's Chick Torta Recipe. Perfect. All right. So the very first step is separate 10 eggs which I immediately glanced over and put 10 full eggs in my stand mixer and whisked them up to a great consistency. So you wasted 10 eggs. So I wasted 10 eggs. I I, uh, poured them into a uh, container and I was like, I'll make scrambled eggs later in this week. And then they went bad and I just threw them away. I I had to go to the store, buy more eggs and come home. (laughs) So... (laughs) Already off to a fantastic start. Right. (laughs) And I was doing this. I got home early from work one day and I was going to a moth story slam that evening. And so I was like, I've got three hours. I've got time to make this torque. You put the egg yolks in your stand mixer, beat them up until they're thick and creamy. And then you add, uh, and then a separate bowl, you're beating some butter and sugar together, you know, to make it creamy, adding a little bit of lemon zest. And they say vanilla paste. I just use vanilla extract. There's really no difference. And then you combine all of that with egg yolks and beat it until it comes into uh, a mixture. Then you add some flour and some cornmeal. Interesting. Which is a little different. So cornmeal is going to give you... Grit. Yeah, grit and kind of a, a drier flavor. Then you kind of, you whisk up the egg whites until you get soft peaks. And then you start, you fold all the egg whites into the batter that you've made. And then that's the cake. At this point, if you had screwed up your eggs, you would have been so mad. Uh, right. At least I realized it immediately. Also, once you start frothing up 10 eggs in your stand mixer, it fills the bowl. Of course it's oh good gracious. It- <laughs> <laughs> and so and I think that mine's like a six quart or something. It's a bigger one. And so I was boy. just like we're talking about a very basic sponge, you know, eggs, sugar, lemon, vanilla. There's nothing there. Well, I mean, that can be nice. It can be a pleasant, like just a white cake flavor. I like a good butter cake. But there's no butter in it. Never mind. There's butter, but there's four ounces of butter. Oh. Which is nothing to write home about. No. Anyway, so you preheat the grill in your oven to high. You take your springform pan. They said use an 8-inch tin. I don't have an 8-inch springform. I have a 10-inch springform. So that's what you got. Right. And that's what I've got. So I was like, all right, so I'm probably not going to get 20 layers because an 8-inch springform is going to be roughly, or 8-inch springform is going to be about 48 square inches of area. And a 10-inch springform is going to be like 75. Oh, wow. Yeah, so you were shooting for maybe like a dozen layers? Yeah, something like that. I was mm-hmm. like, I'll do, I'll alternate them until the batter runs out. Okay. And and did you watch the episode first? Well, I've, I've seen it numerous times. Okay, gotcha. so So I kind of knew what I was doing, which I think was a benefit to this. But that's actually something to remember that when you need to change cake sizes that, you know, the difference between 8 and 10, it's not a quarter difference. It's about a half difference because yeah. area gets much larger. I was I was thinking that sounds very mathy and it, uh, it is mm-hmm. and so it's it's you know it's why it's like there's you know more calories in a slice of a large pizza than a medium pizza. <laughs> Don't say calorie and pizza in the same sentence, Max. Stop it. I both grease the pan and I cut a sheet of parchment paper to put in the bottom of it so that you know you could get this cake out of there. And then it says to and I guess I because I didn't know how many layers I was going to end up getting, I couldn't measure it and kind of divide that out among the different things that I was going to do. Mm-hmm. So I just used 
like a tablespoon or two until it would get thin enough to kind of cover the entire bottom. And then it's said to alternate broiling this two minutes for the dark layers, one minute for the light layers, and do that over and over and over again. And, over and, and over. here is where the insanity started. Okay. Okay. That's the hard part. Yes, but not not the two minute one minute thing is fine. All right, so two minutes and one minutes in my oven is too much because they wanted the directly below the grill. At okay. two minutes, it would have been a charred husk. Okay. So I was really operating on like ninety seconds, forty five seconds, and but also because it's a cake that's being grilled and it's catching in certain spots because you know that's kind of what it's doing. It's making a lot of smoke. Oh. I did, that was not even an issue in the show. Well, because they're in a tent that doesn't have a smoke detector. Oh, no. And so every time I open the oven, my smoke detector goes off. Oh, no. So I am pouring a layer, tilting it all around, sticking it back in the oven, setting the thing, going to fan the smoke detector, running back, opening the thing, pulling it out, pouring another layer on, pushing it back in, setting the timer, doing the smoke detector. Eventually, I pulled the smoke detector out of the wall. And sweating like a horse the whole time. Right. It's hot in the kitchen and I'm moving back and forth. I'm also trying to make an apricot glaze to go on top of this oh thing God. once it's done. <laughs> in the 15 seconds between having to go, oh my gosh. And bad. I am just, I am vibrating. Did you cry? I would have cried. I didn't cry, but once I pulled the, the smoke detector out of the wall, I felt much better. Yes. And I'm also trying to get it to be less smoky in my house. And so I'm trying to prop the door open, but make sure that Bess doesn't run away. Oh no. <laughs> oh no. That's... This sounds like that scene in I Love Lucy with the the chocolate conveyor belt. Like, it not very really. much felt like that. Yeah, yeah. That's... And and then Ooh. my cake started to have a hump. Oh no! So at one point, one of the layers, I guess, in the middle was too thick, and so all the rest of the layers, just this hump, kind of kept forming towards oh, the middle. <laughs> and I didn't really think about that, but it's like if you don't get those layers even, once a layer's baked, that's it. Yeah, and you end up with the cake dome. And I guess, you you know, if it weren't so built around having so many layers, when you just took it out of the pan, you just slice off the hump. Yeah, that's what you do with uh, just a regular old layer. I do this, I think I get 12, 13, 14 layers, something like that. And it has been a pain in my ass. But I finally bring it out, you let it cool in the tin for five minutes, and then you release it and soak it on a wire rack. Didn't have any problems with that. And I'm excited for it. No, wait, no, not next. Sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for the taste after all this. You take some apricot jam. You push it through a sieve so that you just get the, the apricot part and the seeds and anything like that. Melt that down and you brush all the sides of that. to Because you can do that with any sort of jam. Apricot's a, a usual British variety uh, to make your glaze stick better. You know, you're basically using the, the syrupy quality of that. And the glaze is also pretty simple. It's chocolate with a little bit of vanilla, uh, you know, a tablespoon of rum, a tablespoon of golden syrup. I used honey instead and like two ounces of butter. So once again, not a lot. You glaze it with the chocolate. Then you make a little vanilla glaze out of milk, vanilla, rum, and icing sugar for the white part on the top. And you just drizzle that on the top in whatever design you want to have. And you let that set. And then it's done. So I cut this cake. I pull a slice out. The layers are not super even, but there are layers. Right. You can clearly see the layers. You can clearly see that I have technically accomplished the trick of this cake. Not perfectly, but I have, you can see the layers. I thought the glaze looked really good. It was tempered nicely and shiny. Good. I thought the it was fun putting the vanilla part on top, you know, and just kind of being a little bit more abstract with that. And then I put a bite in my mouth. It was 
disgusting. Disgusting? Disgusting. Not bad. Repulsive. It was it was chewy mm-hmm. and almost rubbery. Oh, no. And maybe part of that is me not cooking it right. You know, maybe it could have been more delicate had I done something different. But it had that pancakey texture. And I actually looked up a blog of somebody else who had used this recipe. And they said something very similar. Okay. And they're like, and they didn't dislike it as much. I really thought it was gross. Dale was more, was kinder about it. But I was like, I don't want to put that in my body. Oh. I mean, it it was the very definition of absolutely not worth the calories. And I don't know how you would have saved it. Uh, why? What'd you do with it? I, I mean, we, like, I had... You know, I tried a couple of bites. I took some pictures. Dale, I think, ate his entire piece. And I left it for a day because Dale was like, maybe once it sits, it'll get a little bit better. That does happen sometimes. Right. You know, it was like, well, I mean, we don't know, so maybe. And so he tried a piece the next day and he's like, it's better, but it's still not good. Right. Like, and I so. A bowl of ice cream. And that was basically what it was. I was like, you know, I'd rather have a sugar cookie from the Publix. You know, I I mean, I picked up the cake tin and I just tipped it into the garbage. (laughs) That's exactly what I did with my Saverin, so don't feel bad at all. I I mean, it was just, you know, like the Saverin, we didn't necessarily love at first, but it really grew on us. And we ended up eating every bite. Yeah, I remember that and thinking, really? But this was... Abysmal. Not good. Not good. And I hate wasting money. I hate throwing away food. Yeah. So. <laughs> At least that went, well, yeah, and that one did cost you quite a few eggs. But what I will say is, like, you know, as far as things that you make, can make on the show go, it was pretty inexpensive to make. It yeah. didn't, you know, the grilling bit was fun. It was an interesting technique to try. But right. I would not make this for anybody. I wouldn't make this again for anybody. It was the part of, the only part of this I can think about stealing is I thought the way that they did the glaze was interesting because there's all sorts of things you can glaze. And I think that that, you know, adding the little white sugar on top gives it a little bit of extra flair. But besides that, avoid the shitty tort. (laughs) (laughs) It is aptly named. Right. There are so many excellent torts out there. This is not one of them. And maybe that's part of why when I was considering which recipe to do and I Googled uh, tort, I could only find really Paul Hollywood's recipe. There were tons of dobos, tons of other kinds of torts, but not that one. Well, and that's also because this is a very basic recipe. This is just, this is a German layer cake recipe. And so mm-hmm. everybody else would have done a takeoff from this because there's, this is a pretty basic sort of thing just made in a weird way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I think that it's more interesting than delicious. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah, like like that that was a thing. We tried that. Right. I don't regret doing it. I do regret eating it. <laughs> there you go. At least you didn't eat much. So tell me about your entremets. So, as I already mentioned, finding an entremet recipe is challenging because I think it's meant more to be a chef showing off what they can do, so it's supposed to be creative. I did not want to be creative because I had very little confidence going into this challenge. I fully expected it to be a mess. And it really wasn't. I did not hold myself to any of the time constraints. And I decided to make only one entremet because I don't want to hate my life. So uh, we've already realized as we've done this podcast that we play pretty fast and loose with the rules because it's more about experimentation and pushing our boundaries rather than replicating what happens on the show. That The show's kind of a, a starting point and an inspiration. So I looked 
and found a handful of entremet suggestions. I am not a big jelly fan. And I had a hard time even finding definitions of entremet because there were some that were quite large, like an eight inch dome. And I knew that on the show, they were all miniature. So I wanted to air more toward that. The one I found was on this blog that is very professional called Chef Iso. It's chef, C-H-E-F, Iso, that's I-S-O dot com. I had such a good experience with this recipe that I really want to rep this man. And I looked him up and he's an interesting person. Chef Iso, Justin Iso, is, I mean, he looks pretty young. And Mm -hmm. on his bio, on his page, it says he's a Japanese-American pastry chef creating elegant desserts that blend Japanese artistry with French culinary tradition. So he moved to New York City, immersed himself in food culture, the fine dining desserts, but he's a computer programmer by trade. But he was drawn to pastry and wanted to keep with his Japanese roots, and so he's always working on his craft. But he has this super professional blog that he says is a love letter to the grit and grace of the pastry chef's craft. And it's interesting because if you go to the recipe section of his blog, his are very elevated. They're things that you don't find in a lot of other places. And I was nervous. I don't tend to use blog recipes because I like if I'm going to spend the time and the money, I want a recipe that's vetted. And a lot of times I find that bloggers are very good at taking pictures and they can make something that doesn't taste very good or that won't turn out well for someone else look very pretty. So, but he has things like cannelles de Bordeaux, this strawberry fromage entremet, several different types of entremet. Right. I'm I'm scrolling through his website right now while you're talking and this stuff looks gorgeous. Yeah, it's beautiful and it's so fancy. Like the Thai tropical entremet, do you see that one? Yeah, well, I, I'm looking at the the strawberry fromage entremet. Yep. It's oh my gosh, this well, stuff is Yep. And the thing is, I'd like to say this about Chef Iso, as difficult and beautiful as this stuff is, his instructions were so clear. Wow. Clear and simple. He breaks down the mango entremet into four components that he said we're going to make one dozen domes. It made two dozen. So just an FYI, there's plenty left over. And all of the recipes, like the recipe for this is all gifts. Yes. Shut your damn mouth. Isn't it perfect? (laughs) Yeah. And it's Chef. I know. And like, if you look it up, he's pretty cute too. Like, it's too bad we're both married because he would be into one of us. I feel pretty sure. (laughs) For this recipe, you need four components. You needed a mango compote. You needed an almond daquoise. You needed a Bavarian mousse. And you needed a mango-colored mirror glaze. And it was decorated around the base with coconut flakes and use a little bit of mango over the top for decoration. I had to buy my molds, but they're half... Um, sphere molds. And I figured those might come in handy later. I found them on Amazon for about $12, but I had to buy two sets of molds to make the amount that I wanted. And so I ended up spending about $24 just on molds. And they're silicone. They're really nice. It was a very expensive, well, not very, but it was a pretty expensive recipe to make. I needed almond flour. I needed a lot of eggs. I needed a lot of white chocolate, condensed milk, gelatin, and pectin, neither of which had I worked with before. In fact, everything I I did in this recipe was completely unfamiliar and I was still really happy with the way it turned out. 
So over and over, Chef Iso, he is the man. I will say that this recipe took three days to make. Whoa. I could have condensed it, but every one of the components needed time in the freezer. Oh. And once it was together and mirror glazed, I'm not sure how it would have done if I'd put it back in the freezer. It went back in the fridge for a while, but it's very delicate with that mirror glaze once it's done. And so it it would be a tough one to replicate for an event. I was just doing it to do it. And they turned out quite well, but making it happen, like while catering, that would be a real trick because it's got to be kept super cold. Anyhow. Okay. So I started with the mango compote. I took 450 grams of mango, butter, sugar, and five grams of pectin. And it's just a simple compote. It's not that hard at all. And so after I had made that, I peeled my mangoes, heated the butter and sugar, added the mango, cooked it down with the pectin. And then I put those in the smaller sphere molds. Those all got covered and put in the freezer so that they could make like a little puck of mango. Then came the almond dequoise, which I did the same day. That was just a three ingredient recipe and it's 200 grams of almond flour. I weighed all of this. 200 grams of egg white and 175 grams of sugar. You have to sift the almond flour to be sure that it's really fine because otherwise it would make the cake kind of gritty. I made a mistake. I thought that that would go in a nine by 13, but once I put it in a nine, a grease nine by 13, I realized it was way too thick. The point of the dequoise is for you to use a cookie cutter and it makes a little, almost like a foam cake base for Mm -hmm. all of the softer layers that go on top. And so if it had been too thick, it would have made it a different shape instead of that half sphere that I wanted. So I put a Silpat mat in a jelly pan, a jelly roll pan, and sprayed that down with Pam and then scooped my very light and fluffy dequoise into that instead. And it's leavened completely by egg whites. So I tried to be careful with it, but I worried I was going to knock it down. It ended up fine. It made a layer, maybe like, maybe an eighth of an inch thick. It cut very easily with a cookie cutter once it was cooled. And then those all went into the freezer as well in little stacks so that that could freeze enough that I could use it when I put my entremet together. At that point, I had to take a break, uh, go do other things. So then the following day, came the Bavarian mousse. This was the tough part to make. I had never made a creme anglaise and I knew I was also going to have to temp and I was also going to have to make a creme bavois, which I've heard before, but I've never made. It also used gelatin, which made me nervous. I hadn't done it a whole lot before. And it, it all turned out, again, really well. First thing you do is bloom the gelatin, which is not at all hard. I've heard the gelatin sheets are better than powder. I bought powder because it's what they had at the grocery store, and it worked fine. You just put the gelatin that's called for, and it was quite a bit, in an eighth of a cup of very cold water. I put ice water in a cup and then strain the ice out to make sure it was super cold. I don't know if that was necessary, but it worked. And well, it's like, the, the, I mean, the biggest thing is that you just want to make sure that all of the gelatin has gotten into whatever liquid that you're going to allow it to bloom no in. Because otherwise it will clump up yes. inside your broader mixture. So and it didn't at all. I've, and I've had it. So I use a lot of gelatin when I make marshmallow things. And so the gelatin will seize. And that's, you know, so that's why they're, you know, you being very careful with it, I think was probably for the best. Yes. It's funny how it looked after I did it because it made almost like a little, I used a small Pyrex bowl and it made like a little puck of jelly, like thick, unappetizing 
<laughs> sort of vaguely it, it doesn't smell strong but of course i took a big whiff of it like you know two centimeters from my nose and it does have kind of a meaty smell to it because it's i think it's made out of um, animal hooves so while the gelatin was blooming i beat the eggs with sugar scalded the milk and cream until it was steaming and by scalded i don't mean like burned i mean just brought it to the point of steaming and then removed it at that point i had to temper the eggs and it went so well i used to try to pour so when you temper eggs you're pouring hot cream or milk into the eggs while whisking and the idea is that you whisk so fast that that hot dairy is incorporated into the egg yolks without cooking the eggs and it's very tricky. I've ruined it many times while trying to make a custard for ice cream. And what I've learned is that you cannot, I cannot, pour it from the pan straight into the eggs. What I have to do is take a quarter cup measuring cup, just accept the fact that I'm going to make a mess, and pour it from a measuring cup into the eggs while I'm whisking. Because I just cannot get the stream thin enough and slow enough if I'm trying to pour from a pan. My pans are too heavy. So once I got all that cream incorporated into the eggs and I didn't have any, any curdling, so proud. Oh yeah, another thing. When I pour the cream into the egg yolks, I try to pour down the side of the bowl and whisk mm-hmm. really close to that rather than pouring into the middle. That tends to slow it down a little bit too. So that might've helped. So once you got, I had it all incorporated, I returned, and at this point it's creme anglaise. Milk, cream, egg sugar i put it on the stove with a thermometer and heated stirring until it hit 170 degrees fahrenheit at that point i removed it from the heat right away because the recipe says to remove it immediately and i kept stirring it thickened up and the temperature kept rising but he specifies that it shouldn't exceed 180 degrees fahrenheit so already you need a thermometer for this recipe he tells that if it goes above 180 degrees the eggs are going to scramble and so that did not happen and it got to about the consistency of sour cream that's the creme anglaise now i've got to make the creme bavoir which is the part that uses the gelatin i had to stir my little gelatin puck into this hot creme anglaise and I did that and eventually the puck just disappeared it fully incorporated into the mixture it said to put it through a strainer that wasn't really necessary nothing ended up in the strainer but it's just smart anytime it tells you to strain something strain it because the other is a fate worse than death while that was sitting and melting and getting incorporated I microwaved a whole lot of white chocolate for 30 seconds at a time stirring and got to the point where the chocolate was just melted and I had to set the mixture the creme anglaise mixture aside because it had to cool to near room temperature this alone would have completely blown my time if I had been in the tent because it took a long time for it to drop from 180 to below 100 degrees Fahrenheit Like, this recipe is just not meant for speed. Right. Well, and I don't know that any of them really worked with chocolate in this way. They did a lot of fruit-based entremets, and that may have been part of the reason is that anything to do with too much cream was going to be a problem. Exactly. In fact, Chetna mentioned that she worked with cream, and she was the one who was least successful. Fair point. (laughs) At that point, I had to emulsify the chocolate with the creme anglaise because it wants it completely combined. I took a stick blender to the chocolate and the creme anglaise, and blended it until it was fully mixed. Finally, by the way, this is the most complicated part, obviously. I had to 
whip all of this heavy cream to stiff peaks and then folded the Bavarian, the white chocolate Bavarian cream into this whipped cream. So now I've got this moussey, creamy, chocolatey, sort of light, fluffy liquid. And I got out my larger half sphere pans and pour the mousse into it. Now comes the fun part. So mousse goes in. I take my little puck of mango and pray it doesn't just fall to the bottom. And I put the little mango compote puck on and lo and behold, it sinks, but to the perfect level where it's just totally flat across the top in all but like two of them. With like two of them, it just sank. So, oh well. <laughs> and <laughs> but those just weren't the pretty ones. So I've got my Bavarian And then I've got my mango compote. And then I take my little round of almond dequoise and set it very lightly on the top. And that's the assembly. And all that gets covered in plastic and goes in the freezer until the domes are completely solid. And he says at least four hours. I went overnight. And the following day, day three, it was time for the mirror glaze. So I know enough about glazes and from watching videos of mirror glazing that I got this huge box that we had been saving for whatever out in the garage and put that on the table. And I have a huge cooling rack. And I put the cooling rack on top of this big cardboard box, knowing that I'm just going to carry the whole darn thing out and toss it in the trash after I was done. I had never made a mirror glaze before. I've never done any of this before. And so I was pretty nervous. But it started in a way that I was familiar with because it had me bloom the gelatin in cold water again. I'm leaving my entremet in the fridge, in the freezer, excuse me, until the very last second because I figure don't let anything get warmer. If you learn nothing else from right. from the show, heat is your enemy. And so while my gelatin was blooming, I brought water, sugar, and condensed milk to a simmer. Then I turned off the heat and stirred the bloom gelatin in. So I've got basically a syrup with condensed milk and gelatin. Sieve that again. And then I had a bowl of chocolate in a Pyrex dish, and I pour this hot bloomed gelatin mixture over the white chocolate. And that made me nervous because I'm like, what if it doesn't melt and I've got this lumpy thing and I have to decide whether to put it in the microwave and who knows what's going to happen to the gelatin (laughs) in the microwave. It was fine. It was totally fine. It melted it. It took about five minutes. All the gelatin melted. And then it specifies again to take an immersion blender. So I take my stick blender to it again, stick it down in the bowl, and submerge it in the liquid. It says to avoid air bubbles because at this point it's super viscous. And so I'm blending, I'm blending, I'm blending. And it said to shoot for a mango-colored glaze. And it says to just, oh, well, you know, just uh, buy a mango-colored dye like gel food coloring and uh (laughs) i don't have access to a mango colored food coloring so i thought sort of orange but mostly yellow so i put in like one drop of pink and that one drop of pink just to counterbalance it took like half the little bottle of yellow to make (laughs) (laughs) to make it mango colored like so a little pink goes a long way but it eventually came to a pretty mango colored orange And I was supposed to let it drop to between 90 and 94 degrees. And I was terrified of it falling below 90. So I'm checking like every minute and a half. And it took, again, another like two hours. I had taken the entremet out and gotten them ready to pour it all over. And it took so long for the heat of the mirror glaze to drop that I put it back in the freezer. Like put it all back and then got it all back out again. So I've got all of my entremet on the cooling rack. And I pour the mirror glaze over, and it's perfect. 
it goes, it just sort of like it's thick, but not too thick, but not globby. And you can tell it's leaving a nice coat so that it doesn't like, it's not streaky. It, it just, Chef Iso, man. I just followed his instruction, instructions perfectly. I used all the temperatures and lo and behold, it was spot on and it was awesome. It says to let the mirror glaze cool until it gels on the domes. Here's the thing I don't like about mirror glaze, I learned after having worked with it for the first time. If you touch it, it fingerprints. So um, yeah. once you've mirror glazed it, if you touch it with anything, you've ruined it. So <laughs> you've got to be so careful with your little palette knife or whatever you use to get it up off of the grate to get it to your plate if you want it to be pretty. And that was such a pain. I only I only decorated one because I, ah, I had some... Ah, <laughs> I made it pretty for the picture, but I only decorated one because it was such a pain in the ass. And so I, I put that on a plate on my grandmother's wedding china, uh, her casual china, don't get me wrong. And... Um, <laughs> So I, I put it on a little pink plate and I pressed coconut flakes around the edge and then on the top put a little thin slice of mango and it looked so pretty and so perfect and I ate it and it was really good. It's so rich. I honestly only wanted like half of one and yeah, I had... Yeah, I, I bet. It's because it's, I mean, it's mousse and then more chocolate and then... A little I bit mean, of compote. Yeah, and then a little bit of compote yeah. in the middle. It was so rich. It would have been a perfect like a dinner party dessert. It felt like something really fancy that you, like it's patisserie. It's what you get at a, like a, a bakery, some, and it looked great. And I was so proud of myself for doing it, but I ate one and was like, that's enough. I mean, you know, just looking at the picture and, and then the picture that you sent me of the one you made, they are, it's gorgeous. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, and it truly doesn't look like something that you can just make it home. make yourself. But I did. And, you know, I mean, that's that's quite a credit to you. Yeah, I was so proud. And I, I'm still proud. Would I make it again? Yes. I would make all the components again. But I had 48 of these. No, wait, excuse me. I had 24 of these. Like I said, a couple of them got thrown away right away because oh, I don't have anybody to give it to. I, I did. That's not true. I did give 12 to a neighbor. Ryan ate two, I ate one, and after that, it was kind of like, well, it was just so much and so rich, and I, I just, I need, I need more audience. Somebody moved to Montgomery. It went so well, and I was so proud, and it, it was definitely my challenge where I thought, I'm getting better at this. Yeah. Like, this, doing this together has made me try things. I, I did not want to do this. Let me throw that out there. I did not. I think I told you, like, I don't want to do any of these this week. Megan and I have, you know, we, we text to each other about, like, you know, what we're planning on doing for the show or, you know, just generally talking about life. And we had extensive conversations about how we didn't want to how she was not a fan of any single challenge on this episode. Yeah. She was mostly leaning towards baklava. And she's like, do I honestly have to make my own phyllo dough? And you were like, uh, she's yes. like, what if I make phyllo <laughs> dough for, like, a little piece of it and just bought the rest? It's like, I mean, you do you. I don't yeah. care. And I felt then, like that. And even this, as elaborate as it was, and I may have been successful, but even with this, I did half of what they did on a time limit. Right. But this is so much more than I ever would have attempted if we weren't doing this. Well, and I think that it's a credit that shows that, you know, you really can, if you're willing to put some time in, you really can discover a lot of things. And we're living in a golden age of people 
excelling in their hobbies. Yes. Because there's a lot of garbage out there. Like Megan was saying, there are so many dumb food blog. This is mostly an Instagram account with a recipe attached. Yes. A bad recipe. Right. With a, a, a terrible recipe. Or, you know, there's so many cookbooks that come out that have a gimmick and there's not really anything useful or, or good information in there. But every once in a while, you will stumble across a new source that is perfect. You know, I mean, I had never seen this website before, but I've, you know, I've been thumbing through it while Megan's been chatting and it is gorgeous. There's all sorts of stuff on here. And even, and you could take any particular piece of this as excellent instruction for something that else you wanted to do. I mean, the process for a mirror glaze is the same for everything. And this guy's clarity and the production of his stuff, it's so good. Somebody, like, give this man a book deal, please. Congratulations on your entremets. Is there anything else you want to say about them? Chase dreams, people. You're capable of more than you think you are. I know. And, and speaking of being capable of more than we think we are, we are one episode away from finishing this first season. Oh my god! You know, Megan and I are going to have a couple of... Uh, interstitial episodes to talk about maybe some other stuff that we've been baking that it hasn't been part of the show and but we're also going to do an episode to kind of wrap up this this first season of what we've been doing and to talk about what we've learned you know most of you who listen know us personally but neither of us had ever done any sort of podcasting or audio recording before and so to have made it this far and to have done so much we're pretty proud of ourselves we're not gonna lie <laughs> so. yeah yeah it's it's been a big deal in my life anyway yeah, and mine too. And so, you know, so we are we're thrilled to do this and we are, you know, looking forward to, to next week where I have a feeling we're going to take on the same challenge. Oh, <laughs> I'm, see, I haven't even looked at what they are yet, so. Well, yeah, so, but we will, we will definitely get there. Uh, sorry for the little bit of delay in this one. We have been traveling and sick and all sorts of things, but, but yeah, we, episode 10 will be coming shortly. Yay! All right, well. Don't worry, I'll ruin the next one. <laughs> I have no doubt. If you're bored by my success, like, trust me. I had plenty of failure to add interest Aww, to this episode. Enough to go around. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening. If you like the show, please giving us a rating or review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to the show. We love you. Yes. we can. You can check out pictures of our bakes on our Instagram at The Gingham Altar Show. And, you know, we... We really appreciate anybody who wants to follow us on there. Our theme music is Cheery Monday by Kevin McLeod out of Competech. That's shared under the, the Creative Commons Attribution 3.0 license. And all of this information and more can be found in the show notes each week. So if you really want to, you know, make a copy of the things that we've done, all you have to do is scroll down a little bit and we are hot linked straight into all of the stuff that you need so that you can be on your own baking journey. Thanks for listening. Until next time, this is Megan. And this is Mac. Wishing you a lovely bake. You know a funny thing that I forget about you? That you're a man with man strength?